The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, August 29th, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She does everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Oh, it's a beautiful day here in Sonoma County, and I'm so excited about the show this morning. Joining me on the phone will be Rosita Stevens-Halsley, who is a dynamic educator, writer, activist, and the niece of attorney, civil rights activist, poet, and one of the co-founders of the National Organization of Women Now, uh, Dr. Polly Murray. We'll be talking about her Aunt Polly, who contributed so much during the civil rights uh, and women's movement. You know, it's very interesting that when I think of uh, Dr. Uh, Polly Murray, who was one of the co-founders of the National Organization for Women, it really, it just gives me a chill to think about it, a, a woman of color who contributed so much to the women's movement. And actually, I want to remind folks out there that we actually have a chapter here in Sonoma County of the National Organization for Women, the Sonoma County chapter, and I encourage people to go on their website, uh, to go on their uh, Facebook page, find out about them, and support this very, very important uh, organization. And this morning, I am dedicating this particular show to Reverend Dr. Polly Murray and all women of color. This month, on August 26, we actually celebrated 102 years since the ratification of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America, which gave women the right to vote, and I like to change that. We may have gotten the right to vote, but as far as I'm concerned, we actually won the right to vote, uh, struggling for 72 years before we got the vote, actually. You know, and, you know, please note, you know, not all suffragettes at that time were white middle-class women. Five uh, predominant black women who fought for the 19th Amendment were very involved. And these women had the double challenge of fighting both gender and the racial stereotypes. And, you know, it was very interesting. They actually had groups of uh, black uh, suffragettes that were really supporting all the other suffragettes. And there was, if you watch a movie called Iron Jawed Angels, it's very interesting. You see a little scene there with Ida B. Wells, and you get a feeling Ida B. Wells was also a, a black activist. In fact, she was one of the women that went into the Deep South to report on some of the lynchings that were happening. Can you imagine the courage that takes? I mean, she is actually one of my heroes. So I'd like to, these women had the double challenge, like I said, of fighting both gender and racial stereotypes. And I just want to call out their names. I want to give them, I want to give them some acknowledgement. Frances Ellen Walker uh, Harper, who was a wonderful writer. Mary Ann Shad Carey. Uh, she was born in 1823 and made her transition in 1893. She never even got to see that we won the rights to vote. Uh, Mary Church 
Robert Sherrell was born in 1863 and passed away in 1954. Uh, Nanny Helen Burroughs, 1879, when she was born and passed away in 1961. And of course, my hero, and that's Ida B. Wells, born 1862 and made her transition in 1931. Amazing, you know, and it was not until the Civil Rights Act of 1964, a landmark civil rights and labor law in the United States that outlaws discrimination based on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin that all black women were able to vote. Now, the 19th Amendment did not cover, it just covered gender, but it didn't, it just covered sex, actually. It did not color, it did not cover race and uh, color. So that's what was so interesting about the Civil Rights Bill of 1964. And what's so stunning is when you think about it, is that the civil rights, uh, excuse me, the Supreme Court kind of gutted the uh, voting rights of 1964, and that's why we're having so many issues around voting. This state's going to do this, this state's going to do that, and the confusion that has erupted because of this decision. I mean, it's really very, very interesting when you start thinking about that. You know, we have a vote in November coming up, and folks need to pay attention who they're voting for. You know, there's, it feels like there's two camps going on. There's the camp that wants to make sure that we have equal rights and protection. And then there's the camp that seems to feel that only white people are the ones that have any kind of authority or any kind of brain, so to speak, to govern. And that's ridiculous. You know, we have to recognize that the beauty, the beauty of our, of our country, of the United States, is that we are a diverse population. Many, many people have converged in this country. And it's amazing that we don't have, we're not warring with each other. But right now, it seems that there's, a, there's an attitude that there's only one religion or one way that we should go. And there's many, many ways that we should go. And I'm sure many of you can relate to that because we all have different, different ideas. You know, some people are Catholic, some people are Jewish, some people are, are uh, Protestant, some people are atheists, some people are agnostics. I mean, we have a whole variety of religions and ways of thinking about what this whole universe universe, what this life is all about. You know, when you get to be my age, you know, you start questioning, you start to say, wait a minute, you know, is it really going to come to an end? You know, what's this great mystery that we live in? What is it all about? And that's what religion tries to do for us. It tries to sort out things, try to give us an idea that we are more than just this, this walking being, that maybe we have a spiritual connection, that maybe there is a higher power or a God. And what, and the good news is that we can pray and maybe ask for things. You know, Ken and I just had, <laughs> Ken and I just have one experience after another where it shows that the universe is a very friendly place to live. And we all have to need to learn to get together and learn to live together and get along together and appreciate each other for what we bring to the table. You know, I went out, we went out to a Vietnamese restaurant about uh, for, uh, Ken's birthday and we were so in awe of the wonderful food and we thought, my goodness, if there were not Vietnamese people in this country, we would not be sitting having this wonderful soup that they have a way of making. So there's all kinds of positive things that happen when you integrate people the way we have in this country. But it feels like there's a force around us that says, oh, no, there's only one race that's superior. Well, that's garbage. You know, we are all one. We are all part of God's plan. And we have to look at that and start living that way and start living up to the principles that we are preaching 
living up to the principles that we are preaching. You know, one of the principles is now thou shall not bear false witness. And there's lots of lying going on. Another one, another principle is, you know, blessed are the peacemakers, you know, but we don't have peace on this planet. We're still at war. I mean, there's all kinds of wars going on in the planet today. Not only the war against people, but just generally wars where people are dropping bombs all over the place. I mean, it's just it's just agitating. And as a woman, as a mother, as a grandmother, and as a great grandmother, I say take a time out. You know, let's start working for peace. You know, it's so amazing to me that every time there's a budget comes up and it's about war, it takes five minutes and they, they say, okay, another billion dollars this way, another billion dollars that way. But bring up a health plan? Oh, my goodness, debating for months. I mean, doesn't doesn't make much sense to me. Well, you know, today's the last uh, Monday of the month, and generally we do the pledge. But I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing something a little bit different. What I'm gonna do is I decided that instead of ending the month with the pledge, I think we should begin the month with the pledge. So I'm gonna start doing it the first Monday of the month. But I'd never give up our section on our history is our strength, and let's just talk about that a little bit. Uh, on August 28th. You know, this is August 29th, so uh, yesterday, Sunday was August 28th, but on August 28th, 1963, more than 250,000 people gathered for a march on Washington, D.C. to listen to Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech. One of the favorite quotes from that speech, was, uh, which is also my dream, and I want to quote that, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What a beautiful thought, don't you think? I have a dream that my four little children will, live, will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What a beautiful thought, by the contact of their character. You know, that's how we should be judging people. You know, skin is just a thin layer, you know, when you come to think about it. I mean, inside we're all the same. If I, if I needed a, a heart transplant and all of a sudden it came from a black person, I wouldn't even know it and it wouldn't make any difference. So the skin is just a shield and it all has to do with weather and environments. It has nothing to do with what it is to be a human being. And I'm gonna say that again because this is my dream. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. What a beautiful thought that is. Truly beautiful thought. Well. Here's a happy birthday. You know, we are a bilingual station here that I'm recording live in, and I think it's very important. And just before Amy Goodman's show, we were listening to the struggle once again that farm workers are getting. They're trying to be able to vote. You know, they go to the fields. They can't go to some voter registration place. They're asking to be able to vote by mail. And I have my fingers crossed that Governor Newsom says okay and doesn't video it, veto it because it's very important that all of us have that right to vote. All of us that are citizens have a right to vote. And I think it's very important that we make it as convenient as we possibly can. 
Well, I want to say happy birthday, and she was born on August 30th, 1907, and she made her transition in 1992. Luisa Moreno, labor leader and Mexican-American civil rights activist. She immigrated from Guatemala, helped organize, oh, listen, I'm going to try my Spanish here, El Conquicio del Pueblo de Habla Española, Spanish People's. Spanish-speaking People's Congress in 1938. She worked for the United Cannery, Agricultural Packing, and Allied Workers of America, U-C-A-P-A-W-A. Oh, happy birthday, Louisa Marino. What an accomplishment this woman had. And think of the odds. I mean, here is a, a woman of color standing up against all these, all these agricultural men and making developing this program, Spanish-speaking People's Congress, so her people can have rights, so they can have water while they're on the job. Do you know at one time that, that farm workers were only allowed to take limited fa- uh, water breaks? Not because they were th- thirsty, but because it w- this was time to get water. Now at least they can drink water on the job. But I mean, it's amazing some of the restrictions that are put on the people that are so vital and so important to our existence. These are the people who handle our food, our food, what goes into our body. It's so important that these people are treated with dignity and respect and are given rights and also are cared for. I mean, my goodness, you know, I remember one time, I remember one time I was working as a, as a cocktail waitress and the, uh, a bartender was really aggravated about one of the customers there. And I actually saw him spit in his drink. I thought, oh, my God, what are you doing? I made him change it. I said, you can't do that. He said, oh, God, he would start talking about the customer. And I thought, my goodness, what a responsibility, someone who's serving drinks to make sure that the drinks that are being served are healthy, not full of germs, etc. Well, that's how I think about the farm workers. They're picking, they're helping to grow and pick our food that goes into our body every day. So it's very important that we make sure that our, their rights are always protected, and I hope that they're given the right to vote this way because it'll make it a lot easier for them. And that's their constitutional right when you're a citizen, to vote. Well, that's a lot, a lot to think about. You know, I realize I'm having a little bit of a rant, and I'm so excited, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a musical break right now, and then we're going to get on the phone, and we're going to get... Uh, Dr. Uh, Reverend Polly's niece. Oh, I mean, how close can you get uh, Rosetta Stevens-Hosley? She's a dynamic educator, writer, activist, and like I said, a niece of attorney, civil rights activist, poet, and one of the co-founders of the National Organization for Women Now. And the song I'm going to be playing is a song by Rashad and Courtney, and it's actually, it's called Dark Statement, and it's actually a poem that Dr. Reverend Polly Murray actually wrote. It's called Dark Statement, and I really am looking forward to just... Dark Testament. Pardon? Dark Testament. Oh, excuse me, Dark dark Testament. But it's really a statement. (laughs) You know, when I look at it, that's probably why I wrote it down, so it's called Dark Testament, and it was actually written by her. So let's go ahead and play that, and then we're going to call Rosetta on the telephone.
Hope is a crushed stalk between clenched fingers. Hope is a bird's wing broken by a stone. Hope is a word in a tuneless ditty, a word whispered with the wind, a dream of 40 acres and a mule, a cabin of one's own and a moment to rest, a name and a place for one's children and children's children at last. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Give me a song of hope and a world where I can sing it. Give me a song of faith and a people to believe in it. Give me a song of kindliness and a country where I can live it. Give me a song of hope and love and a brown girl's heart to hear it. I sing of a new American, separate from all others, yet enlarged and diminished by all others. I am the child of kings and serfs, freemen and slaves, having neither superiors nor inferiors, progeny of all colors, all cultures, all systems, all beliefs, I have been enslaved, yet my spirit is unbound. I have been cast aside, but I sparkle in the darkness. I have been slain, but live on in the rivers of history. I seek no conquest, no wealth, no power, joy, joy, no revenge, joy, joy, I seek only discovery of the illimitable heights and depths of my own being. Hope is a crushed stalk between clenched fingers. Hope is a bird's wing broken by a stone. Hope is a word in a tuneless ditty, a word whispered with the wind, a dream of 40 acres and a mule, a cabin of one's own and a moment to rest, a name and a place for one's children, and children's children, at last. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Oh, that just gives me chills when I listen to that. I mean, when you think about what she's saying and what she said, it's just absolutely beautiful. For you just joining, I want to re for you just joining in, I want to remind my listeners the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members and women's spaces. 
Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces. And without further ado, I want to introduce my guest on the phone with me is Rosita Stevens-Holly. Welcome, Rosita. Welcome to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Oh, I am just thrilled. How did you like that dark, dark uh, testament that we played? Absolutely beautiful. It brought chills to my I know, I know, I know. I am just so excited to have you on. So may I tell my listeners just a little bit about you? Certainly. Rosita Stevens-Halsley is a dynamic educator, writer, activist, and community engager focused on sharing stories of historical and pioneering voices for children and adults to be inspired by. In the spirit of enhancing the legacy of her aunt, Reverend Dr. Polly Murray, Rosita has co-authored with Terry Casitas Jennings a biography entitled Polly Murray, The Life of Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activists. And I need to put a little plug in here. I'm reading the book. It is absolutely fabulous. And it's written for uh, young people 10 to 14, and I'll tell you something, it's the easiest book I've ever read and so much information. Congratulations. Rosita holds a Bachelor of Science and in, in, in Education from, uh, from State University of New York and a Master's in Counseling and Human Services from Boston University. Rosita is president and founder of Preserving Polly Murray LLC and is a proud board member of the National Women's History Alliance of Santa Rosa, California, and the Polly Murray Center for History and Social Justice in Durham, North Carolina. What a resume, Rosita. Anything that you'd like to add? Well, I'm just uh, so excited that I've taken the time to find out to lift up my aunt's legacy. Of course, I knew her for many years, and I say that our lives intersected for 43 years. But I really had no idea about the impact um, that her literature and her legal work had had on uh, people in the past, even though a lot of people were unaware of that. Well, talk a little bit about what it was like having an aunt, such a powerful woman with such progressive ideas. What was it like growing up with her? What, what, what are one or two memories you have that really strike you about her? Well, first of all, her language. Um, I was in awe of her language, the way she used it, her vocabulary, and the fact that she was just a prolific reader. I didn't realize at the time when I was very small what a prolific writer that she was. And it really wasn't until I did research in the Harvard Radcliffe Library, the Schlesinger Library, that I realized she had actually kept journals all of her life. And thank goodness, because those journals are now being used by researchers to find out more about her. When I think of some of my favorite memories, it was uh, family gatherings, especially for Thanksgiving, and she came often to Howard University in Washington, where uh, my my family lived. Um, When I had graduated, I asked my mother if I could ask Aunt Polly to take me to meet one of Aunt Polly's very, very famous friends. Um, I knew that they were uh, friends of each other, but I had never, 
you know, seeing them together. And my mother said, if Aunt Polly was willing, that would be fine. And I was able to take a train by myself to New York to meet Aunt Polly at the station and then spend time with Eleanor Roosevelt, one of her dear friends. It was probably one of the most exciting adventures and opportunities I've had in my entire life. Oh, and I'm, I will always remember it. Oh, I am just so jealous. I mean, you actually got to meet Eleanor Roosevelt. How were? How old were you, Rosita? Um, I was 13. Oh, was what 13. an experience for a 13-year-old. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, you've done a lot of research, a lot of research, you know, and I'd love, you know, tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you found that you felt that were very, very important about her. I mean, it was I. It, what was so amazing, I found out another thing about her as I was doing the research for my, for my interview with you, that she actually wrote a letter to Richard Nixon to be nominated for the Supreme Court. I mean, that, she, I mean, what an amazing woman that she had the tenacity and not only that, the intelligence to do that. So people who you've researched a background have found more information about her professional life. I'd like you to share some things just about Polly herself. You know, what kind of person was she soft-spoken? Was she assertive? Was she quiet? How, what, what kind of personality did she have? Well, I must say, if you met her, you would probably never forget it. She was a a very unique person. Uh, I, some people possibly thought she was opinionated, but she did have a lot of opinions, and she certainly didn't mind sharing them. But she was also quirky. She had a wonderful sense of humor that everybody didn't get a chance to see because often when she was speaking, she was speaking about things that people wouldn't necessarily bring up, you know, in... Uh, groups, but she felt no problem. She had no problem in talking about anything she thought uh, thought about. And um, she was stubborn in a sense, but this, I believe, kept her going throughout her life because one of the things that I learned that I really had no idea about was the fact that she was often near the poverty level. level. Even though she had a master's in law, a law degree, and a doctor in law from Yale University, as a black woman and as a black person, it was very difficult in her time to get good paying jobs. But that never stopped her from trying to uh, achieve the goals that were important to her or helping other people, even if she didn't uh, get paid for it or if she got very little paid for it. She was very brave and very bold. And the way in which she was introduced to Eleanor Roosevelt was in her very strong letters to both President Roosevelt and sometimes copies to Eleanor. She uh, became very disillusioned by President Roosevelt because she felt as the president of the greatest country in the world, he could have stopped lynching of um, people of our race. And she had written him and expressed this, and she felt he had done nothing about it. 
that it was more important to him to have the support of governors and other politicians in the South as opposed to doing something that would have helped her race. Um, So that was really the introduction to Mrs. Roosevelt, which eventually turned into a friendship. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt had a weekly column that she had in the paper, and she would often quote things that Aunt Polly said. What an amazing, what an amazing story! But that's definitely a statement about Eleanor Roosevelt herself. You know that what an amazing woman she was, and I mean that just, I mean that is so exciting when you hear about that. Well, you know, there's one of the famous. As I was reading, as I was going through a lot of the material, and it it was like such a refresher course for me, of course. And I, I really, I, I, I fell more in love with your aunt as as I read it more and more. I mean, I and like when you said, I'm kind of stuck. You know, when I make up my mind, I have a I have a dear friend of mine. I want to do a shout out to my dear friend, Susan Lamont, who works a lot with uh, policing issues and accountability and oversight. And she just is just just like that. You know, we're going to do it. We're going to move forward. And I just I just love that attitude and hearing that about Polly does not it does not uh, does not surprise me. Well, one of her (laughs) one of her favorite mantras was confrontation by the typewriter. Do you know what that meant, and how did she use this throughout her life? And another belief she had was together we rise. You know what? What do you what do you make from these statements and these beliefs? Well, um, with reference to the typewriter, and we actually have a chapter about that in the book. She um, had a friend, and both of them were at Camp Terra, and it was a camp that Eleanor Roosevelt had uh, created during the Depression, you know, for women who were out of work, out of a place to live or what have you. And so one of the uh, people that Aunt Pauline met there was someone who used her ability to write, to write important people to express to them things she thought was wrong or to ask them for help to rectify certain things. And Aunt Polly hadn't thought of it before then, and she saw how that worked, and so she began to write. And she had really always wanted to be a a writer uh, and a poet, uh, even before she thought about or studied for the law. So she used her prose and her poetry to write about things that were important to her, and that, you know, included humanity for all and uh, people having the same rights and things of that nature. You'll see that a lot of her writings, no matter how short or long, are about diversity, inclusion, social justice, and those kinds of things. So she began to write about things that she um, wanted to point out to important people. In our day, now they would probably be called op-eds, but uh, she wrote letters, um, she wrote short stories, she wrote poetry about those things, and she sent some of that to uh, Eleanor Roosevelt as well. And so she called it Confrontation by Typewriter, and she really used her typewriter uh, every day to write things, and a lot of that is um, at the library. Lucky for us and for humanity, 
She was a writer. She kept a journal. And she saved things. So she's uh, saved over 100 boxes of things. So before she died, they were donated to uh, the Schlesinger Library. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, via the Internet, see a lot of those things as I was learning more about her professional side or the side of her I didn't know as a niece. Well, you know, it's really interesting when you talk about her writing. One of the things that I found so fascinating was that when uh, Thurbert Marshall uh, got wrote the uh, brief on Separate But Equal, Actually, he got that information. He found one of the writings of Pauli, of Dr. Polly Murray and actually uh, used that as a reference, which was amazing. And unfortunately, she never got credit for that, but it became a known, a known issue. And also with uh, uh, Judge uh, uh, Ginsburg, that also she helped write several of her briefs, and, and Judge Ginsburg actually gave her credit, which was uh, amazing. Well, let me ask you something, Rosita. Would you mind if we took a little bit of a musical break here and then uh, come back and finish this conversation? Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Well, the song, that, the song that I chose, and we're just going to play part of it, is called The Impossible Dream. And I want to dedicate that to, to Dr. Marie because I really believe that she believed she had the dream. And sometimes those dreams really felt impossible to her, but she just kept moving forward. So I think it's very important. This is a very important song, and I want to dedicate this to her. And it's sung by a woman by the name of Julie Rogers. And when I return, I will continue my conversation with Rosita Stevens-Holsley, niece of attorney, civil rights, women activist, poet, and one of the co-founders of the National Organization for Women, Dr. Polly Murray. And also, I must say, Rosita, you have a resume in your own right, so congratulations to you for getting all that education. It's just it's very inspiring when I read things about women like yourself. So let's go ahead and let's play that just a little portion, Ken. dream to fight the unbeatable foe to bear with unbearable sorrow to go where the brave dare not go The unrightable wrong To love pure and chaste from afar To try when your arms are too weary To reach the unreachable star This is my To be willing to march into hell for 
and the world will be better for this that one man scorned and covered with scars did strive with his last ounce of song gives me the chills. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm continuing my conversation with Rosita Stevens-Holsley, niece of attorney, civil rights activist, poet, and one of the co-founders of the National Organization for Women, Reverend Dr. Polly Murray. Rosita, did you get a chill from that song? I did. I mean, if that wasn't the perfect song for Polly, I mean, my God, (laughs) if that wasn't her life. That's true. You know, if we did, well, you know, with, so it was written about her. I, I swear, when I when I when I read it, it when I listened to it uh, the second time last night, I said, "Oh my God, this it just made me cry." Well, of all the amazing things that Dr. Marie accomplished, what for you were the two most important things, and what impact did they have? I uh, let me sh- share one. And tell you, I'll try to make this story quick. Um, when Aunt Polly went to Howard, she thought because it was founded for black students and many of the students, most of the students at the time, were of her race, that it would be a better environment than what she had come up with in Durham, North Carolina, and even some of the problems she had in New York. And as you mentioned about board versus the Board of Education, in law school, the top student was the uh, presided over the court of peers. She was so disappointed because when she would make suggestions or give her opinion about legal questions and what happened uh, in the class, the boys, and they were all uh, male, when she was in class, would make fun of her, and even oftentimes the professors would. So uh, she had the top grades in the class in her junior year, but because she was female, they would not let her preside over the court of appeals. Appears, I'm sorry. Then in her senior year, she was also the top student, so they finally relinquished and let her uh, preside over that. Then, in order to graduate, each of them had to write a brief about something. And you mentioned it before. Her brief was um, basically about separate but equal and why that uh, didn't work and a new spin on how it could be approached. When she turned it into her professor, Spotswood Robinson, you know, he graded it, gave her an A, and put it in his. Uh, desk. And as you mentioned, it was about 10 years later when the um, NAACP attorneys were preparing to go before the Supreme Court. And Spotswood Robinson was one of, I think, about six heavy hitter uh, attorneys who were working on it. And he remembered on Pauli's paper. He found it just where he had put it 10 years before. 
and gave it to the team, and they decided to use it. And so, as people now know, through uh, the movie uh, Thurgood Marshall and the movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she did write that. She is getting credit for it now, and that uh, the core of what they took to the Supreme Court and won for Board versus uh, Brown, uh, Brown versus the Board of Education, was actually her theory that she had written 10 years before as her senior thesis. So that, uh, to me, is just amazing. And also, I was just glad to hear that they had to finally admit that she had value. It didn't matter that she was female. She still had the same, uh, should still have the same opportunity as the men in her class. Also, as the top student, she was supposed to be able to get a free ride to Harvard University Law School, which, again, she was not allowed to accept or it was not offered to her, not because of her race, but because of her gender. It's amazing, but the thing that is so amazing is that she did not stop. She continued writing, she continued teaching. You know, and what, why do you think, you know, considering, you know, the impact, I mean, that she had, I mean, the, the beauty of, of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg actually giving her credit, which was due on her brief, was amazing to me. It shows how women will acknowledge oftentimes women where males will not acknowledge that there's, a, there's a woman behind it. You know, why do you think? Why do you think that that she did not get the attention? Like, for example, you know, some of the pioneering, uh, like Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King. I mean, now she now she's starting to get attention. But why do you think it was such a, a difficult time to bring her forward? Well, um, very few persons of color and marginalized uh, groups and females as well as well got their due back in um, the 90s. And so I think that's one of the reasons. Also, um, booksellers and publishers and a lot of the authors who were published uh, were white men. Uh, They owned the publishing companies and what have you. So it was very difficult for uh, black and brown people and marginalized people to, um, they felt people wouldn't be interested, and they were not interested in promoting them. I think now with the Internet and more interest um, from especially young people, uh, female achievement, diversity, inclusion, and social justice have become much more out in the open, and people are demanding to know, and they don't have to wait for a specific uh, publishing house to put the information out there. They can find out a lot of it themselves. And I think also uh, from what I've seen as an educator and just a book reader, that once a few uh, black or brown people are mentioned in a book, uh, the attitude was, well, that's all we have to do. You know, I think a lot of our achievements... um, would never have come to four. In fact, it wasn't until several years ago, and I've lived in Washington for many years, that I knew how many uh, black people were responsible 
for uh, building the Capitol building that's, you know, so famous in Washington, D.C. So those things have been kept under the rug and not shared, but that's changing. Well, thank goodness, because to get this information and to find out things about about women like like Dr. Paul, uh, Dr. Murray is amazing. And, you know, she's one of my heroes. I have two heroes. One is Dr. Pauline Murray and one is Ida B. Wells. And whenever oh. I get whenever I get stuck or I get fearful or I get nervous, I just I just tune to them and I say, hey. You know, if you can do it, I can do it. I have more, a little more privilege that you did at your time. So what am I balking about? So, I mean, it's just, it's, no, it's true. You know, when you think about it, I mean, these women against all odds, I mean, when you walk into the room and there's your color skin, you know, you can't, you can't shed it, you know, like, you know, it's, it's a, a major accomplishment for, for these women, what they did. And we need to know more and more about them. Uh, you know, well, you, you wrote this book, you know, I, I'll tell you. I have, I'm a reader, but I have a hard time reading. And when I picked up this book and the way you wrote it, because it's written for ages 10 to 14, it is such a simple read, but full of so much wonderful, wonderful information. The, 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 the first thing that I, that when you open it up and she talks about her childhood and you talk about, you know, the one room schoolhouse and the fact how they got the, the used books and all that, I could under, all of a sudden I had a bigger understanding of what was the most motivation for her writing the brief on separate but equal you know I mean she lived that she lived that experience so and and I just loved reading it the way it's written why do you feel it's important at this time here in 2022 to expose this to young children what do you think the impact should be and why do you believe it's important well even before some of the uh, political things that have happened in the past you know four to six years uh, it's so important with young children when they're so interested in school and interested in learning and they're like little sponges that you can share information with. They're so inquisitive that this is absolutely the proper time to not only um, share information that they normally would get, but to make them aware of other cultures and um how people are different and yet we're all similar in many ways and most of us want the same things in life. Uh, I taught kindergarten through fourth grade. So, of course, I have uh, the perspective of an early childhood uh, group of children to um, talk about it. So I thought it was very important to... um, make sure that before children had uh, all of the negative uh, concepts about people that they hear or that they see on television, they see in the news, um, that they would have some positive uh, understanding of other cultures and someone like Polly Murray, because whether you're male or female, or regardless of um, your your race or ethnicity, Polly Murray is a human being, and she always wanted to think of everyone as just a fellow human being who deserves the same rights and privileges. But she's an inspirational person. You you said earlier that she never gave up, and she never gave up. Um, 
talking about the the difference of uh, separate but equal when she went because she was uh, brown or black. She only went to the eleventh grade, and this was historically uh, what was done at that time in Durham, North Carolina. But I was married to a man from Mississippi, and many times past the sixth grade, there was no pr- uh, public education provided for uh, black people. So Aunt Polly got to New York all excited about being able to go to college there and found out that though she was top in her school when she graduated, the uh, types of classes she had had and the fact that she was one year short um, would not qualify her to uh, qualify for Hunter College. And she was actually told that she was missing two years' worth of high school in order to get into Hunter. But she never let anything stop her. She said to the cousin that had agreed to let her live live in New York, uh, I can do two years in one. And she absolutely completed two years in a New York high school and got another high school degree um, doing all of the classes that the state of New York and the city of New York required of her and qualified and was admitted to Hunter College after that. So she has always been that type of person. Say no to her, and I think that gave her more drive to want to show you that she could do it. What an inspiration for young people, you know, to show. And, you know, I'm really shocked by what you said. You mean to tell me in the South they did not have... The, the complete grades for, for African-American children? Oh, absolutely not. Oh, I uh, didn't know that. Yes. What uh, the- there were a lot of, and of course not for the entire South, a Rosenwald schools that were set up by one of the founders of Sears and Roebuck um, that um, people of color could go to afterwards, but there weren't enough to, um, you know, for the amount of children that needed them. Uh, Also, a lot of uh, people uh, tried to start up um, special schools or schools affiliated with churches in order for um, black people to go to. But what often happened due to the economic situation of black and brown people was that they would begin to work in the fields with their parents or get menial jobs to help their parents survive. Well, you know, people don't realize, people don't appreciate or recognize the struggle to get education from that people of color have at, in the past. I mean, they don't understand what a accomplishment it was. I mean, just the fact that coming out of slavery during the time of the slavery, the, the, they were not allowed to even be able to read or write. I mean, Absolutely. so so when you think about it, when you think about it, there's that saying, you've come a long way, baby, and we still have a long way to go. Don't get me go. wrong, you know. <laughs> I mean, and I really, I really believe, I really believe that it's in the hands of the women because we give birth to life. We bring the children into the world. You know, we need to make sure that all children, 
every child is treated as this great miracle and this precious being that we make sure that they're taken care of. I mean, that really makes me sad when I hear that, that children were deprived that way. Well, we're coming to the end of the segment, my friend, and I'm going to give you last words. I'm telling you, Rosita, this was just a beautiful interview. I so appreciate having you on the air to bring you to Sonoma County and to talk about your wonderful, wonderful land. So I'm going to give you the last words. Let us, let us know about your website, how we can get a hold of that book, and anything else that you would like to share with us. Well, thank you so much. So the name of our book, which actually came out on March 2nd, on my 80th birthday. Well, oh, you're a Pisces? Called... You're a Pisces? Yes, so, I am. So am I, March I 18th. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> That's why we get so... along so well. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, the book is called, again, Polly Murray, The Life of a Pioneering Feminist and Civil Rights Activist. It can be purchased at Barnes & Noble, uh, Amazon, Indie Books, Books a Million, and hopefully in many um, uh, small, you know, bookshops. If you come to uh, any of my social media sites, they're called Preserving Polly Murray. That's my Facebook, my Instagram and my uh, website's name. Uh, if you'd like to reach me by email, you can reach me at preservingpaulymurray at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from people who've actually read the book, like Elaine, uh, whether you have questions for me or comments um, or you want to challenge something. I would just love to hear what you thought about the book. Um, the reason I started my LLC, Preserving Polly Murray, is because for the rest of my life, I hope to uh, be successful in getting my book and Terry's book and other books about Polly Murray into classrooms um, as long as she's one of the people that uh, they learn about hopefully not just during Black History Month or Women's History Month, but that um, others like her, uh, brown and black people, uh, become included in the regular history books, social studies books, um, and English books, any book, anywhere that you, uh, you know, anything that you want to teach your child, you can probably find uh, heroes and sheroes that you could use in the curriculum. And many of us have. We've had to devise our own curriculum items to be able to present um, minorities to well, Rosita, all children. Rosita, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful interview. We've just, just ran out of time. Thank you so much, and I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough. You're quite welcome, and thank you for the opportunity. Oh, I just loved every moment of it. Well, folks, that's it for our show. A special thank you to Rosita Stevens-Halsley, dynamic educator, writer, activist, and niece of attorney, civil rights activist, poet, and one of the co-founders of the National Organization for Women now, Reverend Dr. Polly Murray. Remember, our children are the future, and it is important to get involved. The very least one can do is register to vote and then vote. This is Elaine B. Holtz. You've been listening to Women's Spaces. Remember, 
Our children are the future. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. And who will surely make you stronger? Who will bear all the joy that is coming to you? If not a woman in your life, as she's someone to pursue. She's patient and she's waiting and she'll take you home now. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, August 29, 2022.